morning. I'd like you to turn in your Bibles with me to Hebrews chapter 13. You might be a redneck this Thanksgiving if your Thanksgiving dinner was squirrel and dumplings. You might be a redneck this Thanksgiving if you have a complete set of salad bowls and they all say Cool Whip on the side. You might be a redneck this Thanksgiving if on Thanksgiving you have to decide which pet to eat. You might be a redneck this Thanksgiving if your turkey platter is an old hubcap. You might be a redneck this Thanksgiving if the secret ingredient for your stuffing comes from the bait shop. You might be a redneck this Thanksgiving if your only condiment on the dining room table is ketchup. You might be a redneck this Thanksgiving if you have to go outside to get something out of the fridge. And you might be a redneck this Thanksgiving if your favorite dessert is moon pies. I think I qualify for a few of those. But the real question I'm concerned about is not whether you're a redneck at Thanksgiving. The question I'm concerned about is Did you even celebrate Thanksgiving? You say, well, yeah, yeah, Dan, I had turkey and I watched football and I took a nap. Well, did you, in the words of Hebrews 13, 15, offer up a sacrifice of praise to God that is the fruit of lips that give thanks to His name? And not just on the fourth Sunday in November, but as Hebrews 13.15 says, continually. You see, this verse is raising the question, do you have thanksgiving every day? Do you praise God non-stop? Do you give thanks in all things? And while you're thinking about that, let me boil it down to an even more important question. Do you worship and praise and thank God in a way that pleases Him? Because that's what it says at the end of verse 16. We're to do it in a way that pleases God. You see, the measure of your worship is not, I really enjoyed that. The measure of your worship is, God really enjoyed that. So today our focus is, How do you please God? How do you make God smile? You see, you can go through the motions of praise and you can say the words thank you to God and you might be pleased and I might be pleased, but God may not be pleased. How can we worship God in such a way that He's not pleased? Well, let me suggest three ways this morning. Number one, we worship God in a way that He's not pleased when we worship God plus. Exodus 34.14 says, Do not worship any other God, for the Lord whose name is Jealous is a jealous God. God doesn't share His throne with anyone. 
He doesn't share His place of worship with anyone. In Isaiah 48.11, God says, I will not yield My glory to another. That's why the very first commandment of the Ten Commandments is this, you shall have no other gods before Me. Idolatry is unacceptable to God. You say, well, people who are worshiping idols are just sincere and they're just trying to find God. They're just kind of in a primitive form of trying to search for and find God. Well, that's just not true. If you read the last half of Romans chapter 1, it tells us very clearly that idolatry is not man on his way up to God. It's man on his way away from God. He knew God and he didn't honor God or give thanks to God. Therefore, he became a worshiper of other things. And as I said last week, we are made to worship. So when we refuse to worship God, we continue to worship. We just worship other things and other people. You say, well, idolatry is just a pagan thing. You know, the classic example of idolatry in the Old Testament is the case of Israel when they saw the plagues in Egypt and they came out and they went through the Red Sea and that miracle and then they had the column of fire and the column of cloud and the manna every day and they saw the water come out of the rock and they came to Mount Sinai and there was thunder and lightning and a thick cloud and smoke and fire and the mountain trembled and Moses went up on the mountain. And what did the people do? They took their gold jewelry and they melted it down and they made a golden calf and they bowed down to it and they said, this is the God who brought us out of Egypt. Idolatry. You say, well, I'm glad we don't have to worry about idolatry in our sophisticated society today. It's interesting when you look in the New Testament. In 1 Corinthians chapter 10 and verse 7, in a chapter where Paul begins saying that he's speaking to brethren, Christians, He says in verse 7, do not be idolaters. In 1 Corinthians 10.14, he says, therefore, my dear friends, flee from idolatry. In 1 John 5.21, John says, dear children, keep yourselves from idols. Do we have idols today? Sure we do. What's an idol? An idol is anything or anyone that you attribute supreme worth to. An idol is anyone or anything in your life that takes the place that God ought to have in your life. So what's really important in your life? What do you ascribe supreme worth to? Your possessions? Your bank account? Your job? What is it that you give affection and attention to? Is it some celebrity that you think is the greatest? Is it sports? In Ephesians 5.5, Paul says, a greedy person is an idolater. Why is a greedy person an idolater? Because they are putting supreme worth on something other than God. 
Philippians chapter 3 and verse 19 speaks about some people and it says, their God is their belly. That's pretty descriptive. My God is my belly. Whatever I desire, whatever I seek, whatever comes out of my belly and tells me I want this, I want that, that's my God. One of the most convicting verses on this in the Old Testament is in Ezekiel 14.3. God says, Son of man, these men have set up idols in their hearts. See, to be an idolater, you don't have to have a Buddha in your bedroom. You don't have to have a totem pole in your living room. You can have a much more mobile idol. It can be in your heart. And other people may not even see it, but you carry it around with you. What does God think of it when you come here on Sunday and sing praises to the Lord when you've got idols in your hearts? Look at Amos chapter 5. The little book of Amos near the end of the Old Testament. Chapter 5. Verse 21. God says, I hate, I reject your festivals, nor do I delight in your solemn assemblies. Even though you offer up to me burnt offerings and your grain offerings, I will not accept them, and I will not even look at the peace offerings of your fatlings. Take away from me the noise of your songs. I will not even listen to the sound of your harps, but let justice roll down like waters and righteousness like an ever-flowing stream. What is God bothered with? Why does He hate their festivals? Why does He not want to hear their songs of praise? Look at verse 25. Did you present me with sacrifices and grain offerings in the wilderness for 40 years, O house of Israel? You also carried along Sicketh your king and Kion your images, the star of your gods which you made for yourselves. God said, yet yeah, you were worshiping me, but at the same time you brought along your idols that you worshiped as well. What does God think of it when we worship God plus idols? He hates it. Second way we can worship God when God isn't pleased is when we worship God our way. I have people tell me all the time, they say, well, my God wouldn't do that. And I always kind of go, your God? Who's your God? And as I begin to listen to them, I find out that their God is kind of a cuddly old grandpa figure. He's, he's, he's pretty senile. and He's real sweet. He's real kind. He doesn't judge anybody. He's, he's kind of cuddly. He just, he just kind of hangs out there and kind of talk to him once in a while. And he really doesn't know a whole lot of what's going on. That's my God. That, that's the God I want to worship. Or we worship the true God, but we worship Him our way. I used to be in, into drugs. I ran into guys who were trying to have religious experiences on drugs, so they would take acid and for seven hours they would be in a religious experience, as they would say. Yeah, I sit on a mountain and contemplate my navel for hours, and that's the way I worship God. I go to the beach and I lay on a towel 
and I fall asleep and I'm worshiping God. Try to worship God in your own way is unacceptable to God. The first to try that was Cain. He believed in God. He came to worship God, but he didn't come God's way and his worship was unacceptable. In Leviticus chapter 10, we read about Nadab and Abihu, the sons of Aaron. They were in the temple. They were worshiping God, but they were worshiping their way. It says they brought strange fire into the temple. They didn't get the fire off the altar where the blood sacrifice had dripped on the coals. They brought it from somewhere else because it was more convenient. And what did God do? He struck them dead because He doesn't accept our worship our way. In 1 Samuel 13, Saul can't wait for Samuel, so he goes ahead and offers the sacrifices himself. What was the problem? He wasn't a priest. And God took away His kingdom as a result. I can't come to God and say, I'm going to worship God my way because God doesn't accept that. And then the third way that God isn't pleased with our worship is when we worship God half-hearted. There's a phrase in the Old Testament that always strikes me. It's in 2 Chronicles 25.2 and it's summing up the life of King Amaziah who reigned 39 years. And it says this, He did right in the sight of the Lord, yet not with a whole heart. He went through the right actions, but not wholeheartedly. He yawned through three decades of history. He went through the motions half-heartedly before God. I wonder if in the honesty of your heart, you would have to say, you know what? I am worshiping God half-heartedly. Jesus said in Mark 7-6, this people honors Me with their lips, but their heart is far away from Me. See, God is not interested in your right actions or your right words if you don't have the right heart. In Malachi chapter 1, the people of Israel were worshiping. They were coming to the temple. It tells us they were bringing their lame and crippled animals to sacrifice. And they were saying, quote, My, how tiresome it is. Maybe that describes you when you come to church. You come and you're not bringing God your best. You're bringing God your leftovers. And you get here and you say, this is pretty boring. My, how tiresome it is to have to come to church every Sunday, Sunday after Sunday. How tiresome it is to have to worship God. You know what God said to them? Malachi 1.10, He said, Oh, that there were one among you who would shut the gates. Who would shut the gates so that you might not uselessly kindle fire on My altar. I would say God's not accepting that kind of worship. You see, if you're worshiping God plus idols, or if you're worshiping God your way instead of God's way, 
Or if you're worshiping half-hearted and not whole-hearted, God is not smiling. God is not pleased. In fact, God is saying, would somebody please shut the doors and keep that person out because I don't want that kind of worship. You say, well, what kind of worship does God want? Well, let me spend the rest of the time this morning turning you to eight verses that tell us the kind of worship that pleases God. You're going to have to have nimble fingers today, so I want you to turn in your Bible a little bit. First verse is Romans chapter 12 and verse 1. <clears throat> Romans chapter 12 and verse 1. You should have this verse memorized. It says, Therefore, I urge you, brethren, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies a living and holy sacrifice acceptable to God, which is your spiritual service of worship. Now, he's talking about worship, and he's telling us what kind of worship is acceptable to God. And what is the worship that's acceptable to God? It's when I present my body as a sacrifice to the Lord. What's that mean? That means I put myself on the altar as a sacrifice before the Lord. Now, it's interesting to me that he doesn't say, present your spirit. Doesn't say present your soul. Doesn't say present your good intentions. He says present your body. Why your body? Well, because that's practical. Wherever your body goes, the rest of you goes. When you choose to play golf on Sunday morning instead of coming to church, the rest of you goes along. When your body sleeps in on Sunday morning instead of coming to church, the rest of you sleeps in. When your body goes on the internet to a pornographic site and watches it, the rest of you goes there as well. When God says He wants your body presented to Him, what He's saying is, I want all of you. A sacrifice implies something that I surrender, something that I willingly offer, and something that is dead. You see, when I surrender my life fully to Him and I die to myself, my desires, my ambitions, my ego, that is worship and that is acceptable worship to God. Now, there's a paradoxical statement here Living sacrifice. Sacrifices don't normally live. But we do. That's because we are dead to self and alive to God. Sophie showed us that picture today. She went under the water, but He didn't leave her there. He brought her out of the water. That's death with Christ then to rise to walk in newness of life. 
Paul said in Galatians 2.20, I have been crucified with Christ. That's death. Nevertheless, I live. What a paradox. A living sacrifice. And so the initial act of worship is that I surrender myself 100% to the Lord, recognizing that I am dead to self and alive to God. Back to the end of verse 1, uh, the word in my translation, spiritual, is the Greek word logikane, from which we get our word logical. It would be better translated reasonable or rational. What he's saying is, presenting your body to the Lord is the most rational thing you can do in worship to Him. You see, He died for me. And because I trust Him, it only makes sense that since He gave His life for me, that I ought to give my life for Him. You've heard it said that the problem with a living sacrifice is they keep crawling off the altar. And that's a reality. That's why this is not a one-time event in the life of a Christian. It's something I have to continue to do over and over again. Well, let me tell you something. Worship has to start here. You can't bypass this verse and still worship God. You can't come and give your lips but not your body to the Lord. It has to start here by presenting my body to the Lord. Second verse is Romans chapter 14 and verse 18. Fourteen, eighteen. For he who in this way serves Christ is acceptable to God and approved by men. He who in this way serves Christ is acceptable to God. In what way? Well, if you read the first part of Romans chapter 14, it's all about human relationships. It's about not looking down on your weaker brother. It's about not judging your brother. It's about not stumbling your brother. It's about not tearing down your brother, but rather building him up. And he says, he who serves Christ in this way is acceptable to God. You see, treating our fellow believers with love and sensitivity is an act of acceptable worship to God. The way I treat you either expresses or fails to express my worship to God. Are your relationships with other believers glorifying God? Is He accepting the worship of your life in your relationships with other believers? See, this is crucial. Jesus said in Matthew chapter 5, verses 23 and 24, if you are presenting your offering at the altar and there you remember that your brother has something against you, leave your offering there before the altar and go first be reconciled to your brother and then come and present your offering. If I'm worshiping the Lord and I remember that somebody's got something against me, that I did something to offend my brother, Jesus is saying, stop worshiping. 
Go get that relationship worked out. Go to that person. Maybe today you need to go to your wife or your children and say, I'm sorry. Forgive me for the way I acted this morning or yesterday. And then come back and worship the Lord. You see, your treatment of other people is as much a part of your worship as the praise that comes from your lips. And not only does our do our relationships affect our individual worship, they also affect our corporate worship. If we're not right with each other in the body of Christ, then it hinders our worship collectively to the Lord. In fact, look at chapter 15 and verse 5. It says, Now may the God who gives perseverance and encouragement grant you to be of the same mind with one another, according to Christ Jesus, so that with one accord you may with one voice glorify the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. God wants us to gather together and have one purpose in mind and to sing praises to God with one voice. How does that happen? Look at the next verse. Verse 7. Therefore, because He wants us to sing with one voice, therefore, accept one another just as Christ also accepted us to the glory of God. How do we do it? We have unity. Our unity as a body is the foundation for our worship of God with one voice together. Third verse is Romans 15. 16. Paul speaks of the grace given him from God to be a minister of Christ Jesus to the Gentiles, ministering as a priest the Gospel of God, so that my offering of the Gentiles may become acceptable, sanctified by the Holy Spirit. Paul says, when I bring somebody to Christ, they are an offering to God. That's worship. Did you ever think about it that way? Did you ever think that bringing others to Jesus Christ is part of your worship? Did you ever think that sharing the Gospel with someone else is part of your worship? You are bringing glory to God in that situation. You see, not only am I to present my body to the Lord, but I am to be impacting other people who will in turn present their bodies to the Lord. And that brings more glory to the Lord. So when you look at that unbeliever, don't look at them as a pain. Look at them as a potential offering that will bring glory to the Lord. Fourth verse. Philippians chapter 4 and verse 18. Philippians 4.18 Paul says, But I have received everything in full and have an abundance. I am amply supplied having received from Epaphroditus what you have sent, notice, a fragrant aroma, an acceptable sacrifice, well-pleasing to God. Giving money to meet the needs of others is an acceptable sacrifice of worship to God. You are worshiping God when you give. In fact, it is a fragrant 
aroma. And it says God is well pleased. He smiles big when you give to meet the needs of others. Now, we normally don't take an offering in this service. That's not because we consider giving secular. We do it because we don't want visitors and guests and unbelievers to be confused by the fact that we're trying to get your money. We're not after your money. And the Gospel is not for sale. But if you're a believer here and you're a member of this church, we expect you to use the boxes to give because that's an act of worship. We only take an offering in one service right now, and that's communion. And some people often ask, well, isn't that kind of weird? You've got, you got bread and the cup and the little bag. And the little bag seems out of place. Well, it's not out of place. Because communion is a place where Christians come and remember the cross of Jesus Christ and worship Him. And giving is a part of our worship. So worship is giving your body, your love, the Gospel, your resources. Then look at Ephesians chapter 5. Ephesians chapter 5 and verse 8. The end of verse 8 says, Walk as children of light. For the fruit of the light consists in all goodness and righteousness and truth. Then notice verse 10. Trying to learn, or literally proving what is pleasing to the Lord. When you walk as a child of light in goodness and righteousness and truth, it pleases God. When you walk as a child of light, God is smiling. Now in contrast to that, look at Ephesians chapter 4 and verse 30. It says, do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God. And that word grieve means literally to fill with sorrow. How do you grieve the Holy Spirit? Look at the next verse. Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you. When you walk in obedience to the Lord, when you make choices to be obedient to the Lord, God smiles because it's pleasing to Him. When you choose to act in your flesh, when you choose those sinful activities, it grieves the Holy Spirit of God who has sealed you for the day of redemption. He is inside of you. And let me say, if you're a Christian, wherever your body goes, you go. And guess who else goes? The Spirit of God within you. And He is grieved by some of the places that we take Him and by the, some of the things that we are doing with our bodies. So my conduct either causes God to smile or causes God to be filled with sorrow. Let me show you one other verse. Look at Philippians chapter 1. I told you eight verses. I'm cheating a little bit here. Philippians chapter 1. This is under the same heading. 
Philippians 1.11 says, Having been filled with the fruit of righteousness which comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. Not only is God pleased when the fruit of God's Spirit is produced in my life in terms of righteous living, not only is He pleased, but this verse tells me He's glorified. I am worshiping God by the choices that I make in my conduct to obey Him. And not only is He glorified by those choices, but you know what else? Your choices to obey God, which bring glory to God, also bring multiplied glory to God. Because Jesus said in Matthew 5.16, Let your light shine before men in such a way that they may see your good works and glorify your Father who is in heaven. They see the reality of Christ in you. And they bring glory to God as well. In Galatians 1.24, Paul says that others had seen the transformation that God had made in his life. And as a result, he says, and they were glorifying God because of me. Can you say that? Other people are glorifying God because of me. Not because of me, me, but because of what God has done in my life to change me from who I used to be to, to, to who I am in Him. There are people in this room today. I look at your life. I see what God has done in your life. And it causes me to glorify God for what He has done in you. Sometimes I sit in my office and, and, and talk to people and, and I tell them, well, you know, your situation is really no different from some other people in this church. And I may even name a name and they'll go, she used to be like me? He used to be like Yeah. We all used to be like that. God is doing a miracle in our lives and as that is manifest and seen by people, they glorify God along with us because of His fruit in our lives. Sixth verse. Romans 4.20 It's talking about Abraham when he and Sarah were too old to have a child. And God said, you're going to have a child. And notice what it says in verse 20. Just to jump into the middle of it. Yet with respect to the promise of God, He did not waver in unbelief, but grew strong in faith. Notice, giving glory to God. Believing God's promises is an act of worship. Especially when His promises go against the circumstances. Like it was with Abraham. In fact, look at another verse. 2 Corinthians 1.20. 2 Corinthians 1.20 says, For as many are the promises of God, in Him that is in Christ they are yes. Therefore also through Him is our Amen to the glory of God through us. God gives a promise 
That promise is confirmed by Jesus Christ because He's going to fulfill all the promises. And we say, Amen to the glory of God. Now, what does Amen mean? There's a guy in church says that all the time. What, what does Amen mean? Amen means literally, so be it. In other words, I believe it, let it happen. And when we say amen to the promises of God, God is glorified. In fact, I think that sometimes God lets us get in a circumstance where we're between a rock and a hard place. He lets us get in situations where we really have nowhere, no way out. All we can do is look up and trust in the promises of God. And what happens in those situations? God gets more glory. If you weren't here on uh, Thanksgiving Eve, we gathered together for a short, short service just to share what God had done in our lives. It was so moving to hear people. Uh, there were so many. I, but, but Jerry stood up and Peg has cancer and he stood up in front of us and said, God is sufficient. You see, that's saying amen to the promises of God even when life is not going real smoothly. That brings glory to God. That is worship to the Lord. Seventh verse is 1 Peter 4.10. As each one has received a special gift, employ it in serving one another as good stewards of the manifold grace of God. Whoever speaks is to do so as one who is speaking the utterances of God. Whoever serves is to do so as one who is serving by the strength which God supplies. And what's the result? So that in all things God may be glorified through Jesus Christ, to whom belongs the glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. You see, the way that I use my spiritual gift can bring glory to God. Now, he divides them into two. He says you might have a serving gift and you might have a speaking gift. Some of us have speaking gifts and some of us have serving gifts. But he says we are to do, use those gifts which were given to us by the Lord in the strength that God supplies so that who gets the glory? God does. See, when you come up and say, that was a good sermon, I usually just say, thank you. But I know in my heart, that's not me. That's God. He's given me a gift to teach. And if I don't teach in His power, it's going to be pretty weak. What's the outcome? He gets the glory. And then finally, come to Hebrews chapter 13. And don't worry, we're not going to finish these two verses today. We're going to come back here next week. In fact, I just want to touch on them this morning. Hebrews chapter 13 and verse 15 says, Through Him then let us continually offer up a sacrifice of praise to God. That is the fruit of lips that give thanks to His name. 
We worship God by praising Him and giving thanks to Him. In essence, we lay our lips on the altar. And we let the words of our lips bring glory and thanks to Him. That's a big part of what we do when we come together for corporate worship. But then notice verse 16. And do not neglect doing good and sharing, for with such sacrifices God is pleased. You see, God wants us to come together and praise and thank Him, but He doesn't want us to forget that our worship is a way of life. It's not just singing and saying thanks. It's doing good and sharing with other people. So, worshiping God is ascribing ultimate worth to Him in our actions. And worshiping God is ascribing ultimate worth to Him with our lips. Worship is a way of life. 1 Corinthians 10.31 says, Do all to the glory of God. Worship can be expressed in every moment of your life, in every circumstance, in every setting. And if it's not, then we fail as a church to effectively worship God together. If you think that you can live any way you want to from Monday through Saturday and then come in here on Sunday and sing praises to the Lord, you don't understand worship. You see, worship is not being in a church building. Worship is not a certain kind of mood music. Worship is not going through traditional rituals. Worship is a life fully surrendered to God, expressed in obedience that comes from the heart and continual praise that comes from the lips. And when we all start to express our worship as a way of life, it gets exciting to come together because we should be coming in here bubbling over with praise because we have been worshiping God every day throughout the week. You see, congregational worship is not that we do something different on a particular day, but that on one day we do together what we have done individually throughout the week. Is God accepting your worship? Is He pleased? Let me give you an open book test. Don't answer out loud. Are you daily surrendering yourself to Him as a living sacrifice? Are you loving and being sensitive to your brothers and sisters in Christ? Are you sharing the Gospel with unbelievers at work, at school, in your neighborhood? Are you giving to meet the needs of others? Are you showing the fruit of righteousness in your life? Are you trusting in the promises of God even when all the odds are against you? Are you serving Him in His strength rather than yours? And are you praising and thanking Him continually with your lips? If so, then you are making God smile. 
We're going to close the service by having the praise team come back. We're going to stand together and we're going to sing that chorus, Blessed Be Your Name. And I don't know how God has spoken to you today, but I'm going to give you a variety of options this morning. As we sing this together, maybe you in your heart of hearts need to present your body as a sacrifice to the Lord.